What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast production. I am Rob Stats Guerrera here with you on Super Bowl Monday after a Chiefs victory in Super Bowl 57. Going to be joined by Vish Kumar in a minute. You're just finishing up uh, some work stuff before he hops in the stream. Uh, just wanted to say thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the Super Bowl. We are officially now in off-season mode, so we'll talk about plenty of stuff relating to the San Francisco 49ers. I want to remind you, please, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so now. Smash that subscribe button. Smash the like button as well. Really, really do appreciate it. Okay, so a couple of things about the Niners coming out of the Super Bowl that we're going to get into once Vish joins. First, the first thing that popped into my head, and I know a lot of people uh, were tweeting about it yesterday, were Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel right about the Eagles' defense being suspect, being vulnerable? It kind of looked like it in the second half of that game, right? Look at what happened, how things unfolded. You know, it might not have been the classiest move per se, but maybe... They were right about there being some vulnerabilities there. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to get into what the Niners can take away from the game itself, how it was played. Is there anything to be learned there that Kyle Shanahan can incorporate next season? Uh, also, we had a coaching departure, a little bit of news on Sunday morning. Bobby Slowick is going to leave with D'Amico Ryans to go to Houston. Is that a big deal? A lot of people were saying no. I have sort of a different take on it that I want to get into. So we got a lot on the table. Plus, we're going to take your questions and your comments all day long. Uh, Bay Marin, what's up? CJ, what's up? Thanks for everybody for hopping in. Uh, Cinema Pigeon, everyone clowned on the 49ers for being sore losers, complainers, whiners, but they kind of were right about what to attack. And of course, they were confident they could win like any team. Yeah, I think there's a, a line there that we can get into. You can be right, but also be kind of a sore loser. Like, yeah, it looks like the 49ers were right. Should they have said it out loud? You could debate that, okay? We, you know, that's for every person to decide for themselves. Um, before we get uh, totally rolling, though, just want to remind you, please uh, rate, review, and follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. You can leave a five-star review like this one from Pick. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Best Niners coverage out there. To Rob Levin and Michelle, your coverage and chemistry is incredible. All the shows are very informative and entertaining. I wish you all the best. Again, we've gotten a ton of reviews. We're so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody for all the reviews. We really do appreciate it. Looks like Vish is here now. What up, Vish? Dude, look at me with the mic stand. Added a little bit of lighting to the thing. Got the ring light hanging out here in the back to give me some light from the back. Dude, it's a new setup. It's a new year. What's up with you, Rob? Look at you. Look at it. And he just took a Dude. shower, too. Like, you were prepared today. Dude, I was prepared. And then I forgot to enter my uh, super uh, important meeting that I usually enter during work during this hour. So it was a couple minutes late because I had to go really quick, turn on the team's. I'm not going to reveal too much about the strategy, but just know that uh, I'm in a meeting right now. <laughs> sure you are. Look, I admire the dedication. So thank you for that one. Um, I was just saying, you know, some of the topics that we're going to get into that you and I just talked about on our call that we do before the show. First right. and foremost, like were Debo and Ayuk and the 49ers right with what they were saying about the Eagles defense before the Super Bowl? Kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say exactly. Um, 
You have to remember that this Chiefs offense put 44 on the 49ers in in Levi's as well. So yeah, no, we have to put Eagles defense. I, I, I'm giving that as context. I, I think that's important because it tells you how good this Chiefs offense is good, right? And I, I would say by no means was the 49ers defense overrated all year. They just really ran into a bad matchup. And that's where I do think in a lot of ways um, – the 49ers offense could have taken advantage of certain things with the Eagles defense, but it was not the same game, Rob. Um, that game was a little bit different playing in Philadelphia, the juice of that crowd compared to playing in Arizona neutral field where footing was clearly compromised. I don't really want to compare the two. I do think the, they would have been a good game with Brock Purdy, but I'm not going to sit here and do the old, Oh dude, the 49ers were going to kill them. Like, they would have destroyed them. It wasn't going to be a close. That's disrespectful to the Eagles and what they achieved this season. But I do think that the Niners and Kyle Shanahan specifically would have recognized what the Chiefs recognized, which was the Eagles defense on those short motions. They just totally bailed and lost track of, of the player. They And Kansas City did it both times on back-to-back possessions to, that led to touchdowns. I mean, those are the easiest touchdown passes any Super Bowl quarterback has ever had. Yeah, they're up there, right? Um, I mean, yeah, stacking the receivers like that. Basically, they call that stack formation, right, where you have one receiver in front of the other. Um, and that short motion to create the stack, um, basically, I saw somebody wrote an article about it. I saw it on Twitter. Basically, it was Eric Bieniemy who saw that uh, yep. they were going man coverage a lot, and they were overplaying the jet sweep and leaving the bubble uncovered. So if you saw all those short motions where, hey, let's stack the receivers, switch release, have the guy look like he's coming for the jet sweep, and then he's whipping back out to the um, to the uh, bubble. And each time the defensive back was nowhere to be found because he was, you know, 20 yards in the middle of the field trying to outrun him to beat him to the jet sweep. Um, and so it was a great play call, and it was like that. The the I, I do think maybe Shanahan would have found that wrinkle and done it. I've never seen them necessarily be as creative and as wizardry as Andy Reid in the low red zone like I think he relies a little bit more on his run game but you're right Shanahan is masterful um he would have found some wrinkles but I I don't know Rob I I don't like doing the 2020 hindsight I thought this game played out a little differently than the Niners game did I think the Chiefs offense has a few strengths the Niners offense doesn't and I do think the Eagles defense is a little better matched up for an offense like the Niners that attacks condensed areas and attacks the middle of the field so much. Cause they were, I look, Rob, I don't know. I watched the first half of the game and I didn't necessarily agree with Debo and Ayuk. You saw, I thought a lot of those plays, the Eagles defense also had a really, really good plan on what they were going to do to the Niners offense. I didn't feel like that was a game. The Niners offense was going to explode. I thought it was going to be a very grinded out kind of defensive battle. Patrick Mahomes through one incomplete pass in the second yeah. half of the game. Yeah. One incomplete pass in the second half of the game. It was just an unbelievable performance by Andy Reid, I thought. And I thought Kyle would have exposed Philly the same way. Regardless, the Niners lost. The Niners lost. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I banged on those Niners players for saying right, that right. stuff. And so I think it's only fair to say they were probably right. <laughs> Right. No, um, you're right from a fairness standpoint, uh, what they were saying, like, you know, Debo got his James Bradbury vindication, if you want to call it a vindication. Yeah. <laughs> but um, ultimately, ultimately, Rob, I, I, 
it is it kind of is what it is right it, it is the situation i i think that that second hat look you can talk about the one incompletion that football game pissed me off rob that was one of the worst super bowls i've ever seen i, I told you this. this is your take i told you this it's one of the worst super bowls i've ever seen it was literally madden it was college football playoffs both offenses going down the field no adversity no pressure on either quarterback every throw is uncontested what hurts had like what two contested throws the entire game, even the last drive, right? The clutch drive, once they go down eight and they come back to tie the game, yep. you have a completely busted coverage from Legereus Sneed playing <laughs> quarters coverage, trying to bite on a sail route and lets Devontae Smith run right by him. And if Hertz hits him on the, hits him on the six, that's a touchdown. And so I, I thought it was horrible defense. I thought it was a horrible game, Rob. Even the one defensive play of the game was Hertz dropping the ball. It, it was, it was, ah. Uh, gross game to watch disgusting game to watch i can't believe that that's your takeaway i haven't heard anybody say that um but okay i mean look it, there <laughs> certainly wasn't a lot of defense so i'm not going to get on you for that i will say one thing and i want to bring this up only because it's something 49ers fans harped on after the nfc championship game and it drove me crazy because i thought it was stupid then and it looks even worse now for anybody that didn't notice okay the chiefs blocked hassan reddick with a backup tight end multiple times in the Super Bowl yesterday, including I think it was like three out of their first four plays, something like that. So this idea that Kyle Shanahan is an idiot and a moron and got Brock Purdy hurt because you everyone knows you don't block Hassan Reddick with the backup tight end. Well, the Chiefs did the same thing. So everybody can shut up about that stupid narrative because that drove me nuts. And that's that's kind of one of the, that's kind of one of the uh, I guess advantages of the Eagles' defense, right? That five-two front that they play a lot. They play a lot of tight fronts and a lot of penny fronts. By playing that five-two fronts, Hassan Reddick is not a defensive lineman. He's a linebacker, and therefore, on certain plays, the way protection works out, he just ends up lined over a tight end because they have five guys on the defensive line. I agree with you, Rob. I'm glad you brought this up. This is such a moot point to me, but yet it's been something that we've had to talk about way, way, way too much. Yep. It it blows my mind, Rob. Yeah, It blows my mind. Because when people bring it up, it's like, have you not watched how the Niners are going to protect? Like, if you're going to argue, if you're going to complain about this to me, then you best believe that you have to pull up, you have to show me that when it happened in week one, when it happened in week two, when it happened in week three, when it happened in week four, you were complaining constantly about tight ends being stuck on defensive ends or pass right. rushers and protection on certain play action pass plays. You have to be consistent about complaining about it because you can't complain about it on the one play that the quarterback just happens to get hurt. Preach, Vish. I totally agree with you. Um and I just wanted to point that out because it's something that just would go under the radar and, and all these people would be sitting there blaming Kyle Shanahan for quarterback injuries. Uh, so I just wanted to say that. Um, oh, sorry, that's the wrong comment. Maxime, thank you very much for the oh. super chat. Any theory as to why Kyle has gotten away from the Debo jet sweep like he ran in 2019? He has gotten away from it a little bit. I think it's because teams have adjusted to it because he yeah. made a comment after the after – the, um, Ray Ray McLeod, after it worked against Washington, and he had the 71 yard touchdown. Kyle said after the game, like, yeah, it's great to do that play where the whole defense doesn't adjust as the receivers coming around to the other side of the field. I think defense is just prepared for it. So it was pointless for Kyle to run it. Right. And they packaged that one up slightly differently, right? Because 
they had it as a jet sweep, but they basically ran it like they run shotgun outside zone. So though McLeod's motion came across, they blocked it the same way they would block shotgun outside zone. There wasn't the extended um, misdirection to it. But it's exactly that, what you said, Rob. Teams have adjusted to it. They have Debo running orbit motion, jet motion, all these different things multiple times a game. Why do you think he runs in motion? Because they're seeing what the backside defensive end is doing. And if he's overplaying it, you best believe Shanahan's going to pull out a jet sweep and make him respect it. But if they're playing to it every time, why would you call a play call when you know it's not going to work? Right. So, you know, teams adjust and defenses adjust. I'm sure Kyle didn't forget about it. It's just, you know, you got to evolve certain things as we go along. Um, The other thing from the Super Bowl that and you and I have talked about this because Mahomes is, you know, haunting our dreams forever. I think it just showed when you play against an elite quarterback like that, but especially Mahomes. You have to be a four down team. Yeah. You have to go for it. You cannot turtle up. And the Eagles, for all their aggression, and they did a great job of it early in the game, they turtled up on the last two fourth downs. They kicked a field goal on one and they didn't go for another. And I, it, it let the door open for the Chiefs to come back. You have to be a four down team against the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I, and, the Chiefs are the perfect example, but it's just where modern NFL football is at. The Eagles defense, which was ranked number one throughout the season, right? It was them and the 49ers. They had 70 sacks this season. And both those defenses gave up, the, what, 38 and 40 to this Chiefs offense? Yeah. You have that. It just goes to show you in the modern NFL, at some point, you're not going to be able to stop anybody. There's only so much you can stop them. You have to be a four down offense. I think once you cross the 40, Field position is kind of becoming mood. I don't know why they're so obsessed with Mish Wisnowski punting that ball 40 yards for a fair catch. Ooh, but... banana punt. Ooh. <laughs> that one always beats me. But to me in the modern NFL, and I pushed, I used to push back against this with you a little bit, but I, I now I've changed. I think you have to be a four down team. There's no other way to do it. I think the what yep. the Eagles proved too, that if you're not a great drop back pass team, which really to be a great drop back pass team in the NFL, you need Mahomes or you need Burrow or you need Josh Allen. Otherwise third and eight becomes a bad place to live because you can't protect anybody. Um, and so if you don't have that guy, Rob, you, 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 you got to be in four down territory because now third and third and eight's a rundown. Well, right. I can run it on third and eight, pick up five and fourth and three, I can go for it. And yeah. we see the Eagles do that, right? Greg, it was funny because Greg Olson, the first time he brought it up, Two minutes later, they uh, ran it on a third down and then punted, which was hilarious. But he <laughs> yeah. said, if you want to know what their plan is on fourth down, just watch what they do on third down. They're going to run it. And what it does is it puts them, everybody says, right, puts put Hurts in third and long. Get him in obvious pass situations. Make him make the play, right? Robbie and Gold said that. Right. And he did make his plays, right? So he showed yesterday that he is not completely incapable of converting those situations. And credit to him. But... With any quarterback, that's the situation you want to put him into. Now you can protect your quarterback a little bit by having a run option because you know you're going to go for it on the next down. Uh, I will say this, though, while we're on the third down, fourth down topic, Rob, they got to get rid of that stupid rookie play. That play is bullshit. The pushing if you want to talk about player safety, that is probably the most one of the most unsafe plays in terms of the collision and the weight that gets on these defensive linemen. It's a horrible play. I hate watching it happen. It's so stupid. God, I hate that play. They showed at one point 
It was like the view from like the line of scrimmage, like on the football and the yeah. defensive linemen are like, they're like six inches off the ground. Right. They're trying to get lower than the right. offensive line. It was wild. Uh, the push in the back. Look, it's, it's been an effective weapon for Philly. Jimmy Garoppolo was awesome at the quarterback sneak without that, by the way, right, right. to his credit. Uh, I hope the Niners quarterbacks can, you know, look at the film and check that out. Cause I think that rule is going to go away in the off season. I think they're going to get rid you of it. So? Cause they, they recognize how crazy it is. Um, but uh, okay. Look at it this way. I don't think they do get rid of that rule. Cause I think it incentivizes teams to go forward on fourth down now well, fourth and two and true. fourth and two and below becomes automatic. And by incentivizing teams to go forward on fourth down, they're only increasing offense, which clearly is the only thing the NFL is all interested in. Did you yep. watch that Super Bowl, Rob? No. One of the worst Super Bowls ever. The NFL wants offense clearly. Uh, CJ Leach on YouTube says Vish hates rugby scrums. LOL. Yes, he does. Um, and But it also can lead to some interesting things. Like, remember that play we thought they were going to run with? They had Trey Lance was at quarterback, but they had Kyle Juszczyk under center, and it yeah. looked like – they were going to pitch it to Lance right. to do the option. Like right. that is some of the cool stuff, but that's the stuff that Kyle should be thinking about right now is coming up with those plays on fourth and short, because I think you're right. The league is just trending there. It's a four down league only because number one, you need to put up points, but number two, like the field position just doesn't work the same way. You, these guys punt the ball and then two, three plays later, the other team's offense is right back where they would have been if you turned it over on downs anyway. Yeah. I'm looking it up right now. I'm usually a little bit more prepared with stuff like this, but I, to my defense, I'm operating on like three hours of sleep. I've been busy grinding draft prep, but not Ooh. to give myself excuses. I off the top of my head, Rob, I would have to say the 49ers were not a good third and short team. No, they I'm were one of the worst. The, I'm gonna I'm gonna look up the number right now. I know they were bad at it on defense, Rob. But how many different times this year? I, I feel like I can name it the number of times. How many drives stalled on third and short? Because Kyle Shanahan would run it on third and short, thinking <laughs> he's gonna go for it on fourth and one. Fourth and one, they would lose half a yard, and then you would mm -hmm. be like, "Oh, I thought we we weren't we close can't enough. do it I now." I thought we were close enough. Yeah, yeah, that half yard made a difference. Man, mm -hmm. I heard that conversation in that <sighs> line of thinking like maybe multiple times this season. Um, and so yeah, I think that additional creativity as well off the quarterback sneak, right? That the play you're talking about, the Bears ended up running it with Justin Fields because sweet. <laughs> Before this Eagles play, right, the motioning the tight end in and having him take the quarterback sneak was the new fourth and one wrinkle. And yep. then the Bears and the 49ers added to it by motioning him in, having him take the snap and now throw this option pitch. So, yeah. You got to be ready to dial it up. You have to now. I just feel like that's just literally the way the league is going, especially the bigger the game the better the competition. If you're playing against a team that you're way better than, okay, maybe you don't need to go for it on fourth down as much because your defense is going to be able to stop them. Right. But when you're in these games, these one and done games where game management and situational management becomes more important than ever, especially against quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts or Mahomes or Herbert or anybody you want to pick, Burrow, you have to. The only way to guarantee they don't score is to keep them on the sideline. That is it. And so that's what you need to do. You have to use your offense as your best defense. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think there's no doubt about it. You've been preaching it from day one of this NFL season. I've pushed back on it uh, ever so slightly. <laughs> Not ever so slightly. I've pushed back on it. But I, right. I, 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 I've changed on that. I, I think 
that at this point it's it's turned into a four four down league rob and i think that when i look at the afc quarterbacks just moving forward and look at the teams they aren't like cincinnati's not going anywhere they have a special quarterback and they have a core roster that's exceptionally talented kansas city's not going anywhere buffalo will remain good though i have question marks about their long-term roster I think Baltimore, if they bring Lamar back, if they're managing to do that, they're going to be good. So we're talking about, you know, four or five of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and all of them play on the AFC and all of them have good enough teams where it's going to turn into that type of game because you're not going to really like I thought the 2019 Super Bowl was the best example of of it. As good as that defense was, the way the modern NFL is built, when it counts, you're not stopping any of these quarterbacks. It's really freaking hard, especially if they're willing to go for it on fourth down. Because third and 15, it's not third and 15 anymore. It's third and like yeah. six and seven. Because if you get it, then you're going to go for it on fourth down anyway. So I agree. And I hope that Kyle adapts. Chris Maldonado says Kyle doesn't go for it because he's so old school and stuck in his ways. Uh, I kind of agree. Uh, I hope that he eventually like figures it out. I don't know if he ever will, but I hope that he does. Uh, Nick Eller, thank you very much for the super chat. I think he's meant if, unless he just wanted to swear at us. But I'm going to say, if you look at the six quarterbacks, they're all physically gifted to go with mental game. Is this the best reason to keep Lance as a huge focus? What's Purdy's ceiling? What six quarterbacks are we talking about? I'm assuming the last six in the playoffs? I don't know. I feel like, so I don't know, Rob. The way I kind of dive into this and detail this and kind of parse these things out is to me if I look through NFL history there's one consistent with all great quarterbacks there's something elite about them and then everything else in their game is rounded enough where there's something about their game that mitigates their flaws so Drew Brees what are his flaws size and arm strength well he played in a dome and then he played in a timing-based offense and then he operated that offense with the best timing and accuracy I've ever seen any quarterback play with to mitigate his flaws, right? Brady movement. Well, he played with the greatest sense of timing and best pocket movement I've ever seen in terms of moving in tight spaces because he cannot run and extend plays outside of pocket. Like you can go down the list, right? So when we're putting a ceiling on Purdy, Rob, I, I think that there's no way of saying, well, because his arm is this, this is what he's going to be. Now, I do think there is a physical, there are things he's physically incapable of doing, but Rob, he showed capabilities to be a good processor. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe his processing could be so elite that it, or his accuracy could be so elite that it mitigates some of these physical flaws that we clearly see, like size and arm strength. It's likely not, Rob, but I do think that's fair to have that conversation. Um, And now with Lance on the opposite before you go, because I know you're going to jump in and I know you're mad, so I'm giving you half of 30 seconds to calm down. Take a but sip. With, Lance, with Lance, I just think that, while those tangible gifts exist, I think those given maybe those are like give like if you have a big arm, that's like maybe you have a 10 percent chance of succeeding more than a guy without a big arm. But at the same time, he also has to show that there's something elite about his game. He's just shown that he has all these traits and abilities, but he hasn't shown that there's anything elite there about anything he does as a quarterback. And so his chance to be uh, elite to me is while increased because he has more physical tangibles and he has more areas of his game that could be elite. It's only going to be there if one of those areas of his game actually becomes elite. I totally agree. You have to do something at an elite level if you are a quarterback. The problem is Jimmy Garoppolo does have an elite skill. Unfortunately for him, it's the least important skill as a quarterback, and it's the quarterback sneak. Jimmy's awesome at it. Like, 
awesome. But that's the, that's the best thing he does. And so he doesn't have that elite skill. Brock Purdy doesn't have that elite skill. He can say his accuracy might improve and it might, but it's never going to get to the point where it was amazing. If it, if it could, if he had that potential, he wouldn't have been the last pick in the draft. Somebody would have taken a pick on him, a flyer on the fifth round or the sixth round. So uh, to me, his ceiling is not much higher than what we saw. I do think it's possible he could improve, but I don't think his ceiling is much higher than we saw. Lance's ceiling is way higher, but his floor is way lower. That's, and that's always been the problem with the 49ers is they are not willing to risk potentially hitting that floor to get to the ceiling. And that we saw with, that's just, I think, an overall 49ers quarterback philosophy. They want a quarterback that's tall enough to ride the bumper cars, but they don't care if he could be a top five quarterback because they don't think they need one. I, I agree with that. I, I was a little shocked that you went with quarterback sneak as his elite skill. When you said he does have an elite skill. skill, I was like, oh, God, is Rob going to say handing off? And then you went to quarterback sneak. I thought you were then going to say something about maybe his beautiful quick release special. You know, the old quick release special from Jimmy G. No, it's it's quarterback sneak and it's ability to constantly have a five o'clock shadow. Like it's perfect with Garoppolo. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Those are the two elite skills. Uh, yeah, I look, Rob, I, I have to push back a little bit on, well, one guy's ceiling is higher. I, I don't like doing the higher and lower on ceiling because knowing whether a guy can even reach that ceiling, like is a ceiling even is that ceiling that we're putting on higher or lower even possible to reach? It becomes very hard for me to quantify the way I like putting it. So I like saying because of Lance's traits, he has he has more opportunities of places that he can be elite to become the elite guy, if that makes sense. Right. Like Purdy's opportunity to be the elite guy means he has to operate with elite timing, processing, and accuracy. Those are the traits that he has to be elite at to be elite. Those are the only three. Lance, those could be his three traits that end up making him elite or his traits that end up making him elite are his uber physical skills. And so I think he has a greater chance at it because there's more different skills that he has that is possible of becoming elite, which you and I agree is the mark of an elite quarterback, a part of your game that is elite. But I don't necessarily think it means like, oh, higher ceiling or that, because I do think if Purdy does make those parts of his game elite, Rob, He's an elite quarterback, and I think outside of Mahomes, it's kind of preference when it comes to the rest of those elite guys. I completely agree with you. Uh, that's a good point about Lance, too, the the different areas and the opportunities to be elite. And you're right. He may have a higher ceiling, but can he ever reach it? That's a fair question also right. to ask that doesn't usually get mentioned when we talk about the ceiling. You know, right. like you could have a high ceiling, but if you can never reach it, what is the point? I want to segue a little bit since we're talking about the quarterbacks. Because I have said something, and I don't know if most people look at it this way, and I just want to make people aware, because I think there's a tendency from some 49er fans to kind of throttle down in the offseason and be like, okay, it's the offseason now, I'll, I'll put football on the back burner and pick it up again in you know July, August. Do not do that. Do not do that. And we will be here with you every day of the offseason, putting out content and doing shows. We're not stepping back at all. The single most important day of the 49ers 2023 season is coming in nine days. And that is February 22nd, the surgery date for Brock Purdy. That is the most important day. That is going to dictate the entire offseason. It's going to dictate the season, the regular season as well, because we don't know what the hell is going to happen with Brock Purdy surgery. 
and neither does Brock, by the way. As he admitted, there are three surgical options for Brock Purdy. There's the one that everyone's hoping for, including me, by the way, which is the repair, which will put him back in six months, give or take. That's the shortest timeline for Brock. The two other options are, number one, he has the full Tommy John replacement. That's that's the killer, right? That's the 10 to 12 month timeline. Plus, you don't know how his arm's going to come back. Or there was a third option, which I don't know if people are aware of, which is the hybrid option, which Brock himself mentioned in an interview with KMBR. I don't really know medically like how that could be because I feel like you either replace the ligament or you don't. But apparently there's a third option that could happen that will put Brock out between nine and 12 months. And, oh, this is back here. So we pop it back in. Not like me. Wow. Yep. We just kicked you back out. The third option will keep Brock out between nine and 12 months, but they gave the surgeon the ability to make that call once the procedure starts. So they clearly don't know what the case is going to be. So there's three surgical options. Two of them have Brock Purdy out for at least nine months. So that's why February 22nd is going to be so, so important, Vish. I think it's essential. And I, I think not just fans, and I think fans are reacting to this way because I think besides Brock Purdy, everybody affiliated with the 49ers who's talked about it seems to talk about it like it's a foregone conclusion. Everything's good and dandy. Brock Purdy will be back in six months and he'll be ready to go in camp and he's going to start, right? I, I thought Shanahan and Lynch, like when Shanahan was even getting questioned about the timeline, he was like, it's so cool because he's going to be fully throwing in six months he'll already be doing the ramp up in three months he's gonna be there like he it's like he was like he was not even here to have the conversation that this could take nine months and at the time Brock Purdy hadn't even made a decision on what surgery he was having he was already like no it's six months and so sorry did, were you gonna say something no go ahead Vish you're wrong oh, I can hear you now I guess you were muted yeah so um I, I I think that and I think that's where like you're absolutely right it is the most important day because I think it dictates their offseason because if it is nine months Rob yep. then it changes their entire plans at quarterback because they were gonna have to get a quarterback likely sign one and draft one regardless this offseason just because of the depth that's required at the position and they don't have enough bodies to make it through the offseason at the moment they have one quarterback who's quote-unquote healthy and even that guy is rehabbing right now to get himself healthy <laughs> um before OTA so they had to get a court they have to get a quarterback this offseason regardless but Rob can you imagine if the surgery is nine months changes well, everything it changes everything and it kind of leads to this comment from RS thank you for the super chat will Lance ever get the opportunity to reach those elite levels as a quarterback in San Francisco I'm leaning towards no what do you guys think if Purdy was healthy I would be 100% on board that Lance is done unless Purdy gets hurt. But now with this surgery, Lance is thrust back into the picture. And maybe it's only by default because the Niners say they're not going to get another quarterback. But Lance is going to have an opportunity to show something, to put up a fight, which I don't know that he would have had otherwise. And so he is going to get a shot. It's going to be up to him to take advantage of that. I think he would have had it otherwise. I'll say that. I think... A lot of people overrate this idea of a quarterback competition. I think there's quarterback competition that goes on every day. And if he was balling out in practice and Purdy was resting on his laurels after having an excellent um, whatever 2021 season or 2022 season, excuse me, I think he would have a chance immediately 
of re-seizing that job. It's what you do for me lately constantly. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. Like he gets up, he's got a massive opportunity. This offseason opened up for him to just walk in and be the guy and be there fully confident and retake over this team and reclaim his throne again. Yep. And it's up to him. It's really up to him. It's indicative on him to make sure that he can prove that. I I I and I I think that like I, a lot of people don't like when you say that they want to blame someone else. If like if if he doesn't prove that it's going to be Shanahan's fault, no, it's fully indicative on him now. I completely agree, and it's it's frustrating to me that he basically is in a make or break, do or die situation right now because I think he ideally would have had more time to develop. But this is this is how it goes sometimes in the NFL. You don't always get the perfect situation, and he's going to have to figure it out and hopefully he does um karen watching on youtube lance can prove everyone right or wrong now he needs to show people that he can do it uh mr j has a problem what the heck do you mean that if purdy was healthy trey lance is done you're out of your mind no i don't think so if you listen to number one listen to the way kyle like you said talked about like oh Purdy's going to be back in six months he's going to be full go he was like super excited about it he was giddy Go listen to, if you go to YouTube, not now, this is our time, <laughs> go to YouTube and Google Tim Kawakami on 95.7 The Game and listen to the way Kawakami talks about how the Niners feel about Purdy. He's convinced that they think they have the guy, that the search is over. Forget Cousins, forget Jimmy, forget everybody. They think that Brock is the guy. So that's why I say if Brock was healthy, I don't think Lance would have had a shot, but of course we all know that that Brock isn't healthy. Again, I I, I still think that's to an extent because I think again it in that situation, Rob, I still think it would be indicative of Brock Purdy to prove that he's that guy every single day. But I do think that it would be a situation where he would have to lose the job rather than Lance would be able to seize it from him, if that makes sense. And if that's Mm -hmm. what you're going for from that standpoint where Lance can't just seize the job from him right away, I I do think you're right in that sense. He would have been done. And this comment uh, also makes a lot of sense. 49ers can't even keep a quarterback healthy. They're never winning a Super Bowl. Even if you, whoever wins the competition, Purdy, Lance, chances are that starter is going to get hurt and both of them are going to get the chance to play anyway. If what is it once in the last eight years, they've had a quarterback play every single game. It, well, it's funny, Rob, because we just watched the Super Bowl yesterday. Right. And we can have our difference of opinions on what type of a game it was. Well, the Chiefs offensive line was number one in the NFL and ESPN's favorite stat pass block win rate. They came into the game with a quarterback on one leg. The, the Eagles offensive line, though, they weren't statistically the best offensive line. They're one of the best offensive lines I've seen in the yes. last 10 years, like. We're talking about like three or four hall, like two or three guys who are going to the Hall of Fame in that line, and Kelsey and Lane Johnson, and stuff like that. And what did they come into this game with, Rob? They came into this game with a guy with a banged up throwing shoulder. So quarterbacks are getting hurt in the modern NFL because it's really hard to protect them because the margins between offensive line and pass rush have never been higher. Every team has one or two good pass rushers. Every team do most teams even have one or two good offensive linemen, Rob? Right. That's a really good point. Most teams don't. I mean, the 49ers kind of don't. They have Trent Williams and a bunch of guys. I thought Aaron Banks did pretty good. I know PFF crushed Aaron yeah, Banks yeah. this year. I thought, I thought he Banks, had a solid year. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was solid, but like solid, not like great. You know, 
Spencer Burford, okay, solid. Um, Jake Brendel was a Pro Bowl alternate, which is kind of surprising. Again, McGlinchey's, solid, but not like McGlinchey's a starter. Yeah, but not like stud, right? And yeah. I think that's a good point by you. Most teams don't have two stud guys along the offensive line, so quarterbacks are going to get banged up a little bit. I mean, yeah. I mean, you look at the rest of the playoffs. Was Burrow the only quarterback that didn't go through any sort of physical ailment of the last four, right? Allen, Allen was dealing with the sprained UCL yep. the entire second half of the season. Purdy, we know, had the oblique injury for a little bit. Um, Mahomes, the ankle, hurts the shoulder. Yeah. Dak had all sorts of problems, right. too. Yeah, it's. I mean, it happens. I mean, Mahomes got hurt outside the pocket, inside the pocket. Like, guys get hurt. It's very frustrating. I still, you know, I think Kyle somewhere in the back of his brain still says to himself, the last two times I've had a quarterback start every game, I've gone to the Super Bowl. Yeah. He did it with Matt Ryan and he did it with Jimmy G in 2019. Yeah. Somewhere in his brain, he's he needs to be doing like, I don't know, some sort of seance or ceremony, some voodoo, like make whatever deal you got to make to get a quarterback to stay healthy for every game, Kyle, and you'll go back to the Super Bowl. I, I think that's also a dangerous mindset, though just because of how year-to-year the NFL is, Rob. You can't just look at the year before and say, well, we got unlucky and say then we're going to just run it back because that's we're going to exactly be lucky That's exactly what the 49ers are saying. And, that's, and I think it's a dangerous slope to be on because the season changes so fast. Trends in the league change so quickly, right? We, we were, were just a year ago, Rob. I mean, just two years ago, we were talking about one of the greatest quarterback drafts we've ever seen in this new age of uber-physically gifted prospects who are also mentally advanced and we're going to teach them how to play quarterback and blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out, well, it's hard to teach all of them to play quarterback. Well, Zach Wilson never learned. Justin Fields is learning, but he's a giant work in progress. Trey Lance, we have no, we have no clue, but he also looks like a work in progress. And then, so now we're, you know, Kenny Pickett goes in the first round. Who's the antithesis of all these guys. Now we're going back to a four year starter processes accurate, but yeah, so it, it's weird in terms of how these league shifts, these league trends shift, right? Josh Allen shifted us here, and now we've shifted back slightly. And so there's constant movement with trends, and because the league is so year to year, it's hard to just say because we had the best team last year and we were unlucky, let's just run it back, and things are going to happen for us again. Because I promise also, Rob, teams are going to be studying this offseason for mm-hmm. the 49ers with Christian McCaffrey and say, what? okay, they're in 21 personnel, and they're moving all these eligibles around. But when they are moving these eligibles around, they're running these same five, six concepts. How do we kind of affect them in 21 personnel? I guarantee you someone's going to have a different game plan next year to give this offense something different and something new. And that's where Shanahan's always been ahead of the curve at getting ahead of these things, self-scouting himself and moving forward. But the entire mindset of, well, if I just got a little luckier, then I would have been okay is dangerous because you also do have to introspect because more things go wrong in the NFL season than just a guy got hurt or one penalty, Rob. Right. And that's, it gets tougher every year because you have to be better and different than you were the year before. That's a great point by you. Teams are going to study up on this Christian McCaffrey thing. And we've seen it with Kyle. He has had to come up with some sort of wrinkle to get ahead of defensive coordinators. It was Debo using Debo as a runner in 2021. Last year, it was Christian McCaffrey. When they got McCaffrey, holy hell, all of a sudden, they started putting up 30 points a game. It was awesome. It's going to have to be something else next year. And I think Kyle recognized that. And I think what he was hoping for 
was that Trey Lance would be the wrinkle. Right. Quarterback run game. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, to hear Tim Kawakami tell it again in that interview with 95 or seven, the game, which you can find on YouTube. Not Not now. now. This is our time. He says Trey Lance disappointed the 49ers a little bit athletically, which is stunning to me because like the one thing you should be able to know about a guy, especially now when they wear all the chips and everything is like how fast they are. But Rob, they swore he ran 21 miles per hour before the draft. Didn't John Lynch say we tracked him and he was 21 miles per hour? That was the story was that, yeah, on one of the touchdown runs that he ran 21 miles per hour, which was faster than Lamar Jackson had run that the entire season that year. Um, but I think that's what Kyle was thinking that Trey will be my wrinkle because he knew he had to evolve. Um, and I still think that's possible by the way, but I think that Trey's legs, I think we've seen now he can, he can run up the middle and gain some yards, but I think he's where his mobility is really at its best is on scrambles. It's not on design runs, especially to the outside. He scrambles. He's got a little wiggle to him. He can evade some guys and do some things and pick up yards. That to me is where Trey's legs help the 49ers out the most. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Two things I want to touch on from what you said. One is CJ Leach. I saw put in the comment and I was about to go right here, right? The self scouting themselves is part of the adjustment period that goes on why they start slow in the beginning of the year. Cause often they're played a little bit differently than they expect, right? Cause teams go into off seasons. They want to have a plan for Shanahan and what they do and they change how they play them. And it takes a little while for Kyle to understand, okay, this is how teams are playing us. And this is what I need to do to counteract that. So yep. to me, I think if there was the best reason I could give you in terms of logic, why they start slow, it would be that. And then, in regards to Lance and his running, I think I think that's where part of this confusion comes in, right? A lot of people think, well, they drafted Lance to be a quarterback. No, no, no. They drafted him with his running in mind, too. They wanted his running to be a part of this offense. And, well, then people say, well, look at Justin Fields. Justin Fields didn't run like this in Ohio State. I don't care what anyone says. I watched every snap Justin Fields played at Ohio State. I also watched every snap Trey Lance played at North Dakota state. Trey Lance was a larger part of the run game in North Dakota state than Justin Fields was at Ohio state. And in fact, they went to Trey Lance's running whenever their offense kind of struggled. When Trey Lance accuracy got shot, they went to straight running the football. Go look at the James Madison game. The last game Trey Lance played in college. I think it's the FCS title game with against Ben DiNucci. Um, They he's, he threw the ball horribly in that game. It was one of the worst games he played in college in terms of how he threw the ball, but they won the game on the back of his running. So his running was a part of it. And maybe they misscouted it. I agree with you, Rob. He's better scrambling right now than he is at the design run stuff. But I do think, Rob, that there is an element of this where they wanted to obviously, they felt like he could do all the quarterback stuff. That's why they drafted him too. But they wanted to use him as a runner, Rob. They wanted yes. to use his running. They wanted that wrinkle. They have, of course. And Kyle's talked about it like you, though, the exact way you said it 11 on 11 making using every player you have on offense against the 11 players on the defense. And they never, we never really got to see it. And maybe we will hopefully next year, but I think that was the wrinkle that Kyle was counting on. And if they don't have that wrinkle next year, if Lance just can't do it or he's not healthy or what, or they go with Brock, I don't know what that wrinkle is going to be. And I'm, I'm curious. Cinema pigeon says Danny gray season. And I'll say this. I mean, it's pretty clear when you get drafted as a rookie wide receiver for the 49ers, you ain't doing anything your rookie right. year. 
Like the fact that Brandon Ayuk did as well as he did is amazing, but he only really played because dudes got hurt and he had to play. Right. Same with Debo, second half of the year. You, yeah, your rookie year is a rough slog. I mean, Debo said literally he changed his face mask in practice to be a dark visor so he could curse Kyle out without Kyle noticing. Like, he's rough on receivers. One of the wrinkles next year, Vish, may be you finally using the speed that Danny Gray has because the Niners have not had a burner like that, especially a burner to be a a feature of their offense. Maybe Kyle's going to use Danny Gray, and that could be one of the wrinkles he goes with next year. Maybe. I I think Danny Gray's got his work cut out for him a little bit, though. I look at that receiver room. There's no way he's getting snaps over Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk. And right now where he is and what I thought of him when I studied him coming out of SMU and stuff, Rob, I find it hard to believe that he would beat out both Ray Ray McLeod and Juwan Jennings, who I thought had very strong years last year. And that's where I do think Danny Gray might have an increased role in this offense. But I, I don't look at him as somebody that's going to break out or we're going to look at his Danny Gray season because I think he might be lost in the step chart once again. It's possible, but Juwan's a free agent. Isn't he now, restricted? I thought this uh, was his last year of restricted free agency. I could be wrong. I don't know if he's restricted or unrestricted. I don't know. If he's unrestricted, it changes the entire conversation, right? Yeah. I don't know if there'd be a huge market for Juwan. And he's a damn solid player. But to me, if I were the 49ers, I offer him X dollars and it's take it or leave it because. So if he's restricted, I'd assume they would put a second round tender on him. I would think they would keep him if he's restricted. Yeah. Yeah. If he's unrestricted. He's just got such a massive role in this offense, and they rely so much on him in so many crucial third-down situations to win, and he does it pretty consistently. Yeah, he's been a a great third-down player for them. He has found that role, and he has lived up to it. So, yeah, you know what? That's a bad job by me. I I don't know if he's restricted or unrestricted. Um, CJ Leach is saying Jawan is restricted in some way. I hope he is because I want to see him back, Um, but – they're going to have to come up with some sort of wrinkle and they're going to have to get off to a faster start in general. They just have to, you can't keep putting yourself in this three and five, three and four hole. Now we don't know the schedule yet because it doesn't come out until May, I believe, but we know the opponents and it's, it's going to be a lot tougher than it was this year. I know the Niners were tweeting about it yesterday. They do have to go to Philadelphia, which if the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I'm convinced that would have been the Thursday night game to open the year. Now that the Eagles didn't win, I don't know. But they're going to play the Bengals. They're going to play the Ravens, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Jags, who, you know, obviously were looking much improved. The Browns with maybe looking better with a full season of Deshaun Watson. I don't know, but the schedule is going to be a lot tougher for the Niners, so they're going to need to start playing better at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. I, I think starting fast is important. Um, I think home field advantage is really important. But not only that, Rob, this team has played almost 40 games over two years. At some point, attrition is going to catch up. Yeah. And I, I've i been saying it ever since the introduction of the 17-game schedule and only one team getting the bye. The bye is just I think as valuable as it's ever been we saw a 49ers team run out of gas and need the buy in 2019 right yes the buy is really really important because it gives you that physical reset and I, it was my big take of 2021 and unfortunately Rob it was completely wrong because both three seeds made the Super Bowl <laughs> but this year I was proven right because both one seeds made the Super Bowl and got the buy so I do think the buy is, in, is essential and starting fast it's it's important and 
I saw somebody post in the comments that they started fast in 2019. Therefore, it's not an issue. And if you have to remember in 2019, Rob, they were adding a lot of um, pieces to their offense and stuff like that. So not a lot of people knew how the 49ers offense was going to look. Exactly. When you have this continuity and all of that, you kind of know what they're going to do with their personnel. And so, you know, the 49ers can come up with eight different plans, but ultimately they don't know how they're going to be played and it's their job to adjust to how they're going to be played. And I think part of that feeling out process in the beginning of the year is they come back and do what they do and they realize they're played a little bit differently. And then it takes Shanahan some time to figure out, okay, these teams are trying to play us like this because they saw this team do it and they think it works. So I'm going to start doing this and this always works, right? This is the second half of the season where it's Debo Samuel playing running back, getting Christian McCaffrey. It's something to make it work. I totally agree. The this, like once he figures it out, you're in trouble, but it just depends on how long that journey actually takes. Um, I just saw this tweet from Tom Palacero. It just makes me giddy. The combine starts in 15 days. Free agency starts in 30 days and the draft is in 73 days. Like, yeah, it's the off season, but we are going to be freaking flying towards events fast and furious. I can't wait. One thing I want to get to before we go. Bobby Slowick, we got news actually yesterday morning that he is leaving the 49ers to join D'Amico Ryans in Houston. And I had a lot of 49er fans in my mentions yesterday. Jason Aponte, chief among them. This isn't a big deal. Bobby Slowick is just some dude that worked at PFF. Don't worry about it. And I'll just say this. Kyle hired the dude. So, I mean, he if he's an idiot, then that reflects poorly on Kyle. Right. He's been with the team since 2018. And Kyle has had to replace a ton of coaches over the last two plus years now, Vish. It's not easy to do. Yeah, I think the non-big deal thing just, look, first of all, Rob, I hate doing this conversation because a lot of people have a strong opinion about this. But can one person tell me exactly what Bobby Slowick is relied upon to do within the 49ers building? No. You don't know the description of his job, so let's not do the pretend of, well, we know he's essential and we know he isn't. Now, the details that we do know is Shanahan is losing someone he trusts. And when you lose someone you trust in any profession, there is a learning curve because now Kyle Shanahan has to spend time training somebody else to do what they asked Bobby Slowick to do. And when we're talking purely about the 49ers pass game, I thought the 49ers pass game operated a lot cleaner this year than it did last year, just in terms of certain concepts, the way they attack certain coverages. The way the quarterback read out certain concepts, it just felt cleaner to me in the past game this year as opposed to the early parts of last year. I thought there were some issues with their past game. They had some issues. There were some miscommunications. Times receivers were in the same spot. And so I do think it puts extra pressure on Kyle Shanahan. And I just want to add to this, um, Rob, by speculation, and I'm going full-on speculation after uh, you know yes. being angry at the speculation is – I think Brian Fleury is going to be the guy that moves up, right? The 49ers like to promote within. Shanahan likes to promote within, especially with his offensive staff. We saw Chris Caseric, or not Chris Caseric, Chris Forrester, take Mm -hmm. on the additional tag of run game coordinator. The reason I say Brian Fleury is because he was Shanahan's quality control in 2019, and now he's a tight end coach. If you're Shanahan's quality control, usually you get moved up into the coordinator rank as well. So I'm assuming he might add some sort of pass game duty. But a lot of people are dismissing this and saying it's not a loss. And then some people are saying, oh, it's a big loss, whatever. We don't actually know what it is. But what we do know is that it just adds additional work to the plate of Kyle Shanahan. It doesn't make his job any easier. 
I just had to note on the screen for anybody that's not watching, Kyle Shanahan has had to replace or has had 27 coaches in new wow. positions over the last two years. That's really hard to do. And Bobby Slowick was a loss. And a loss means you've got to bring somebody in. There's ripple effects to that. If you bring in somebody internal, then you got to promote somebody else to take his spot. This stuff has an effect. And remember, Kyle skipped the combine last year to do quote unquote scheme work, as John Lynch put it, with the coaches. He had to teach the coaches the scheme. So there is an effect. Yeah. I also want to say this in regards to Slowick. That's a great point by you. Nobody has any idea exactly how much responsibility he had, good, bad, or otherwise. But I did notice that Trey Lance, in his interview with Rich Eisen, specifically shouted out Slowick and Brian Greasy and said, I hope those guys stick around. So I thought right. that was interesting. Even though Lance didn't play that much, like you said, the passing game at times did seem to look a little bit smoother. Certainly they reduced the number of turnovers, and maybe Greasy and Slowick had something to do with that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think the last point um, about this that's important to mention is like when we're talking about like, okay, yes, the past game looked better. We don't know his contributions. There's com comfortability with the human being and with how they work and their comfortability yes. with knowing how you do things in your building is so underrated when we're talking about all of this. There's a reason McVay goes and gets Mike LaFleur, right? It's yes, they're pals, mm -hmm. but it's because he knows Mike LaFleur knows his offense. He knows Mike LaFleur knows how McVay works. He knows Mike LaFleur knows McVay. There's a comfortability that he knows yes. that the learning curve is less, right? There's a reason Belichick goes and brings McDaniels back, goes and brings Patricia, because those guys know Bill how the thing is done, how you're going to run the system, how you're going to do certain things, and you don't have to teach it to the next guy. So you can diminish and say, well, we Slowik didn't do this, or Slowik's just PFF, or Slowik's an idiot, and... Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. But I'm not going to pretend like additional work and additional this isn't – it might not be a major setback or whatever. It's like when you were getting in arguments about the Trey Lane's ankle surgery. It's not that big of a deal, but it is a setback, right? It is a setback. It's not a big deal, but it is a setback. Same way, them losing Bobby Slowick might not be a big deal, but it is a setback to their offensive staff. I completely agree with you. And if you want to see another possible reason why the 49ers got off to slow starts, it's part of that is unfamiliarity with the coaching staff, right? It's figuring yep. out the roles. You know, we joke about uh, the Niners talked about, oh, you know, Mike McDaniel used to print out certain things from Kyle Shane and they had a whole system down, but that stuff matters yeah. because it's, it's time management. It's, they don't, Kyle doesn't have to spend time working on that process with somebody new. They can focus on everybody knows their job. It runs like a well-oiled machine. I think it took the 49ers coaching staff behind the scenes a few weeks also to get their right. process down to figure out who's good at what and all that stuff. I know Chris Forrester joked like, oh, I don't, I'm not good at Excel with this. Right. Well, you need somebody to be good at it right. and they have to figure all that stuff out. Now Bobby Slowick, who's been with the team since 2018, is leaving. So they're going to have to fill that out and that process is going to have to change and evolve again. So it matters. It might not matter a lot, but it does matter. I thought you made another just incredible point in there that needs to be highlighted too. Cause we're talking so much about prep about, you know, the off season about all these things in game day too, right? There's a communication yeah. that goes on in game day. There's a communication on the way they communicate with Kyle, right? And Slowick might've been the guy upstairs that was calling out all the different coverages to let Kyle know and calling out down and distance and doing stuff like that. Well, okay. Somebody else can do that job, but you have to find somebody else to do it, right? Somebody else can type the stuff into Excel, but you have to find somebody else to do it. And I agree with you, Rob. I, I feel like 
I feel like it's not it's something it might not and, be the world's biggest thing but it's something and especially if that guy's calling out coverages is kyle trust that person fully to say like does he really know what he's looking at was that really cover three was that because re- if it's not and you don't trust it that affects cussed out well yeah not only that but it affects your play calls in the future and it makes everything harder so yeah i totally agree it matters and i i feel like there's a lot of 49er fans that love to just stick their head in the sand and say, no, la, 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 la. No, it's going to be fine. Everything is perfect. That doesn't matter. And it's just, that's not how the world works in any job. Right. They don't want to have any conversations about anything. If you disagree with it, you don't even want to hear the other side. And that's where, by the way, the reason I know about the in-game stuff and all of that is because of the flying coach podcast when McVeigh was doing those interviews with Peter Schrager, yep. when they had LaFleur on him and LaFleur were talking about how they used to sit upstairs and they would call out the coverages yes. and Shanahan would keep cussing them out. Cause they would be sitting there arguing like, no, that was a zone dog or no, that was a sim pressure or no, that was this. And you'd be like, dude, give me the effing, whatever, whatever. Cause the game's going on. Cause they had that little chatter, but all of that banter and comfortability, Rob, and, knowing that you can find somebody else with the willingness to do the grind and do it the way you want it is not exactly as easy as people want to make, make it out to be because Shanahan has done it so successfully. They take it for granted. It's the Mm -hmm. same thing with coming back from injuries because NFL players make coming back from injuries look so ordinary. We take it for granted how superhuman it is for them to return where they are every time they do it. And just like that, because Shanahan has developed his staff so well and does such a good job coaching his staff, we take it for granted how much the constant, constant turnover in his staff could be affecting him. Heck, it affected Bill Belichick so much that he hired Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as their offensive coordinators (laughs) so that that he wouldn't have to hire anyone else. Yeah, and look who he brought back this year, Bill O'Brien, former offensive coordinator. So, yeah, it matters. Everything matters. You know, one thing is not as equal, like certain things matter to different degrees, but it all goes into the stew here. And again, I keep saying like to win a Super Bowl, a lot of stuff has to go your way. And part of that is this stuff behind the scenes that we don't spend a lot of time talking about, but that doesn't mean it isn't meaningful. Absolutely, Rob. Absolutely. All right. I think we've exhausted the topic list for today. I want to thank everybody for hopping in here. We do appreciate it. Please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button on the YouTube page. Again, we're not going anywhere. The most important day of the offseason is coming in nine days, and that's the Brock Purdy surgery. So we're going to be doing shows every day. Uh, The combine is in 15 days, like I said. Free agency is 30 days away. The draft is 73 days away. So we will be here with you throughout all of it. So it's a perfect time. Follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. And one last thing I want to mention before we go. I got my, I don't know if you can see it. There's no crying in baseball. That's my homage shirt today. Shout out to homage. That was for Eagles fans. There's, I don't want to hear any crying about a referee's call. James Bradbury said himself that he held. So I don't want to hear the flag. So no crying for Eagles fans. That's why I wore the no crying in baseball shirt uh, from homage. Shout out to them. They have awesome stuff. Click the link in the description to this show. It'll take you right to the 49ers page, but they have other non-football stuff, pop culture stuff. Go check it out. I know, Vish, you went with the German soccer kit today. Yeah, yeah. I had to flex. This is a really nice 2014 World Cup jersey. I I hadn't worn it in a little while. I saw it in the closet, and I thought, uh, why don't I grace the viewers of Rob Guerrero's (laughs) YouTube show with this beautiful jersey? 
that I got for a very cheap price in Singapore. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Appreciate it. We'll be with you. Vish, thanks to you for attending your work meeting and then doing the show. <laughs> it's greatly appreciated. As always, as always. Yes, yes, yes. I like that. Very important. And if you have any coworkers that are watching, like they can't really be mad at you because they're watching you do the show when they should be in the meeting. Exactly. They're also part of the meeting. Ah, okay. Well, thanks, everybody. Again, we'll be back next Monday doing a live show with you. So hope you join us then and uh, have a good rest of your day.